Clayco is the proud sponsor of Build St. Louis. At Clayco, it's been their culture from the very beginning to do more than just build, to create, to innovate, and to do so with a holistic, intelligent balance of art and science that's unmatched anywhere. Clayco understands that it's not about the walls they plan and the buildings they put up. It's about the people and their purpose within them every day. Clayco builds for a cure, for a scientific breakthrough, for a family that's safe and healthy, for a cleaner world, and for a better future. Clayco is a full-service, turnkey real estate, architecture, engineering, design-building construction firm. Clayco delivers clients across North America the highest quality solutions on time, on budget, and above and beyond expectations. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of Build America, the national podcast that's capturing and sharing the very heartbeat of construction. I'm your host, Carrie Smith, owner of Construction News and Review, or CNR Magazine. If you're intrigued like I am about indoor agriculture, you are in for a treat today. We have two guests with us. Our guests in this episode are Ron Jones and Ron Mitchell with Clayco. Ron Jones is vice president of Clayco's industrial group. And in that role, Ron Jones defines groundbreaking methodologies for delivering capital projects to clients in the indoor grow and greenhouse space. Ron Mitchell is a master grower and expert in aeroponics and hydroponics at Clayco. Gentlemen, welcome to this episode of Build America. It's great to have you here. Thanks. Glad to be here, Gary. Let's start by maybe explaining to all of us as your viewers and listeners what the unique qualities of indoor agriculture are versus what a lot of us are more familiar with would just be traditional outdoor agriculture. And Ron Mitchell, you might want to start. You had a great differentiator before we got on the air. Tell us the biggest difference you see. Uh, I I usually explain it to my friends that normally when you're growing, when you think of agriculture, it's grown outdoors and you're up against mother nature there. You can control the water and you can control certain things, not all the water because you get the rain and all that sort of thing, but you have some control that you have to grow things. Uh, A lot lot goes wrong because of it and their production usually suffers from it. Whereas when you move things indoors, you actually have to become mother nature because that's what you're really up against. In a greenhouse, it's you get you can use the sunlight, which is nice, but it's sometimes too hot and too strong in a greenhouse. So you have to dampen it. You got to go all these, do these jump through all these hoops to get the right light and the right heat. But indoors you have a full control or that you should. That's the idea. And that's what we build is full control. <laughs> into our buildings. So you're controlling the humidity, the heat, the oxygen in the air, the CO2 in the air, everything that a plant needs to flourish, we have to build into the building in order to be successful. Otherwise, things can really go wrong, as you can you imagine. Know, that was a great explanation. I know the last time I had the pleasure of interviewing you, Ron Jones, you had mentioned the value of these crops. And if your humidity or temperature is off by half a degree or, or some sort, that could be it for that entire crop. What is it just a really big dollar industry? Give us an idea maybe of what we're talking about in terms of assets that you have to bring to fruition. 
Yeah, they are very complicated facilities, and that makes them, especially in today's environment, expensive to build from a, a CapEx perspective, but they are also relatively expensive to operate. And at the end of the day, you're growing up a food product that historically has relatively low margins. That puts a lot of pressure on the owners to make sure they're as not only as efficient as they can be with the dollars they spend, but that their operations are giving them the output and the quality product that they need at the end of the day to pay those bills and, and make a profit. Let's talk a little bit about the types of crops or the range of crops that agriculture that we're even speaking of, just because I know that's a question I had in preparing. Give us an idea of all the things you could be growing. Yeah, there's so much you can do. Anything that can be sold or eaten or, well, there's pharmaceuticals even that we grow in a controlled environment. We can grow fish, we can grow insects, we can grow all kinds of things. And the biggest advantage being a grower is that you can grow all year, every day. And that's unusual. And you can control all these things about how you grow it. So you can produce a really different looking produce that's really crunchy and really, you can really dial in what, what you want the product to look like and feel like and taste like and all that stuff we actually have control over. Of course, it, if you don't have the right grower, it can be out of control. But the idea is that you have these controls. It's like a fast car. If you can drive it, it's great. If you can't, look out. <laughs> when you talk about ways you were speaking, I wonder if is the word, the term organic, is that relevant in indoor agriculture? It is, but losing more of its appeal. And because now we're growing things without pesticides of any kind, not organic pesticides, nothing. And it's more pristine and you really you can run into a lot of things in the field that are organic, like animals roam through and do their thing and they pass disease. And so there are some diseases in organics. I had a certified organic indoor farm and because it was good to have that label on there. And there, and it is a, I buy organic produce because I'm more assured that there's not going to be anything on the leaves of the lettuce and all that than field grown. You have a lot of things you're trying to keep away from those plants when you're field grown, bugs, bacteria, all kinds of things. Too numerous to go into. That's a um, big advantage, again, of indoor. I used to call it protected agriculture because that's what you're doing. It's really interesting that instead of pesticides, they do incorporate beneficial plants and, and insects into the grow area to help perform some of those functions. But like Ron was saying, you don't need the chemicals. And so the term organic loses some of its luster. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. When you speak of Clayco and this whole division that specializes in these projects, what give us an idea of the aeroponics versus the hydroponics? Is there one particular trend in the industry where there's there you're designing more of one or the other, or do some facilities have both? Or how does it shake out in terms of your clients? There's so many different varieties that work that are grown under different systems, and just to, the quick answer to that, I'll try to be quick, is I've done I've done both and where aero hydroponics is simpler to do in a lot of ways. You have a little less control, but that's okay. Beautiful stuff is grown hydroponically. There's more controls in in aeroponics, but there's more that can go wrong because you're using a high pressure volume of water and that quits well your crop 
dies. <laughs> you have to have things much more technical. And where the aeroponics comes in is in pharmaceuticals. They do a lot of work with pharmaceuticals growing and testing for bacterias and different human diseases in plants themselves. And so that works best under my experience under aeroponics, because you can control that. You can take a plant out, infuse it with a, a disease, put it back in. You can do a lot more with the plant. So that's what they do. This is stepping into Ron's area a little bit, but doesn't it too have some, one of the determining factors is actually what you're growing. From a plant standpoint, I always think of things on the indoor growth in three areas. You have berries, uh, vine crops like tomatoes, peppers, um, eggplants, that sort of thing, and then leafy greens. And Ron, aren't some of those more grow better under one of the systems as opposed to the other? Or? Aeroponics is really much more expensive to operate. And so you're high yield. You have this fancy berry or whatever that you're growing. More can go wrong with that. That's where aeroponics comes in. Most of the stuff, most of the leafy greens is grown with hydroponics because it's simple and you can count on it and it's less, less expensive to produce. And so that's definitely, there's a difference there. That's why aeroponics is kept for the, like pharmaceuticals and you know expensive herbs, that kind of thing. Let's talk about some of the mechanical, specialty mechanical systems. I cannot even imagine how to ask that question of how complex with aeroponics and hydroponics these systems are and who engineers them. Does Clayco have its own team? Do you have other people who specialize specifically only in that? Tell me a little bit about that part of it. It's a combination of both, Carrie, and you're exactly right. The level of complexity of these systems is really remarkable. The lighting, the various uh, shades of light and the wavelengths that are used for various stages of growth and types of plants. The HVAC systems are critical and particularly difficult to design in a vertical grow because you have all of these layers, but you're trying to get exactly the same airflow, humidity, CO2, at the plant surface all across those layers and, and beds, so both horizontally and, and vertically. I, I think one of the biggest technical challenges is that HVAC side, right? Because the water you can mix up and, and get your right um, recipe with the fertilizer and nutrients for, from that standpoint, deliver it in a pretty consistent manner. The lighting once, I think, and again, Ron, jump in because I don't no, you're exactly you know, right. point, but the lighting I think is, is relatively yeah. easy to define, but that yep. HVAC is just an enormous variable because you're talking about airflow basically and trying to make it the same across all these different yep. vertical and horizontal space while and the plants are growing in between it. Right. And the plants are using up this stuff that then you're, how much do you replenish? And it gets complex, but there's people out there trying to solve these problems. A lot of times I should point out that some people that come to us to build these intricate buildings know what they want, how they want to do it. They're coming with some technical information of they've got growers and engineers that have said, look, this is what we got to have. This is the temperature we got to have, all those things. So we can hit those set points with the way we build the building. And the way, there's all kinds of things you can do to keep insects out of the building. That's a skill we have. And so we bring, we, we merge together with their idea and it's exciting actually working with them because they come up with these really good ideas in the R&D stage. And then we got to put it in knowledge and expertise that comes from the owner. We have in-house resources and then we'll partner with experts in specific areas and put that whole 
team together to attack the problem rather than just trying to guess at it. When you were talking, speaking of that and the verticals and the challenges about the airflow, I want, that's what I wondered. And I'm sure depending on the crop or the owner, it's all completely different. But I wondered if these, if we would go out and visit one of these facilities, would we see uh, more of a vertical footprint or would we see like a warehouse distribution kind of footprint with a couple of stories and a big eight parcel or what works best? Or again, is it going to be depending on what you're growing? Yeah, it depends a lot on what you're growing and the technology that the owner is bringing to the table. Ron mentioned earlier the greenhouses, and that's a large, fairly well-proven technology or grow method. But then once you get in, and, and fairly standardized in terms of the building and, and what have you from that perspective, but the, the indoor grows can take on multiple configurations depending on, obviously, not only what they're growing, but how they're growing it and the, the technology that the owner is utilizing. Some have more vertical layers than others, that type of thing. But so you see quite a bit of, of variance. And, and again, that side of it's a relatively young industry. And so there's still a lot of um, experimentation going on, people trying to figure out what works best uh, yeah. from that standpoint. And so we see everything from a box in a box where the grow area is put in, in, a, in a box inside of an existing building to others where the building and the grow structure itself is actually all in one, like an ASRS kind of a, a warehouse configuration. So you, you really do see a little bit of everything. Yeah. And there a lot of them are very secretive because they spend a lot of money to get to that stage. And then a couple of years from now, they'll be showing it to everybody. The sure. technology is moving pretty rapidly. And that's a great point too, Ron, about this business that, that's a little bit unique because it is new, because everybody, not everybody, because a lot of people are bringing in new, their own new technologies. There's not the level of standardization that you see in more mature industries. And as a result, so far, there's not the level of, of cooperation and collaboration that you see in chemicals or pharmaceuticals or some of those industries that are still very competitive. But they've matured to a point where people are willing to help the industry out to grow and prosper. We belong to a um, group, uh, international group called Farm Tech Society that has major players in the field of growing. And we're part of this to open this up a little bit, share some of the ideas that, so that people could get started in it and they could, they can, they don't have to know all the secrets, but they can develop their own from there. Anyway, we're trying to build the, the industry is the way I'm getting at. That's wonderful. As you were talking about the level of proprietariness, I don't think that's a word, but close to that, the security systems, I would imagine, in these facilities are, again, I don't know if they're different depending on the crop or the value, but security and also like insurance, I wondered about those two mm -hmm. components that makes it different than your average build. Yeah, security, I think on two levels. One, the physical security of, like Ron alluded to earlier, keeping the pests and the diseases out. So there, there's a level of, of food safety um, and, and biological safety that has to be considered to maintain the, the integrity of those areas. But the other part of that security piece goes back to the IP uh, that the companies have and the data they collect during the growth cycle. It, it's absolutely incredible with today's technology, the information they can get yeah. about really each plant and how it's going through its life cycle and all the various things they can measure and, and look at. And that creates volumes of data that also have to be secured, right? So there's a couple of different levels there with uh, that question. Yeah, that's true. As you're speaking in the general um, construction workforce, how everyone says it's still very tight in terms of labor. And I'm wondering what the 
associate degrees or collegiate degrees or other things that the skills that people need to have to operate these facilities once you turn them over. I just can't even imagine who you're looking for, who the owner is looking for to do this. You can go to school for some of it. And I know some great schools that teach biology and and all different things that you, it would come in handy, but it really gets down to mentorship with a mentoring. I, I always recommend go find somebody that knows how to do this and mentor under that person because it's years and years of experience. It took me a long time. I've been in this over 40 years and wow. I built farms and done all kinds of things. And I had met mentors all the way along and they made it go a lot quicker <laughs> to get to where I had to go, which was uh, to get more production and at a bigger level and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, you're really being a biologist, but then you're also being an engineer too. So at the same time, you got to yeah, go. These, these facilities cover the whole gamut, uh, right? It's the growing side, the, the farmer side, if you will, on one end and the the folks that uh, harvest the, the product and what have you. But then it very quickly moves into the, the post-harvest uh, processing, which is a food safe environment and, and really like a food factory. And so you have this whole yeah. range of people that are required in these um, facilities that say starts on the grow end and, and a lot of that uh, mentoring and hands-on experience that Ron is talking about. And then as you get into the, the post-harvest areas, it's more traditional food processing. So people with yeah. mechanical, electrical, engineering backgrounds to deal with that <laughs> complex machinery and equipment that's used to process, package, store the the product, as well as all the support utility systems and everything. So you have maintenance engineers and folks like that. Um, and Rod mentioned earlier, all the way back on the research side, uh, then you have research scientists. So it's a it's an industry that really does encompass a very wide range of skills. You've got the IT people that have to handle all that data and, oh, yeah. and infrastructure <laughs> and, and information. It's complex in that regard. Yeah, there's room for everybody in this industry. Yeah. Ron Mitchell, not to make you feel mature in any way, but has indoor agriculture been around for how long? 40, 50 more longer years? Or you said you had gotten into it a good while back, and that made me want to ask. I wasn't around for this, but the gardens in Babylon were hydroponic. Okay, so it goes back a ways. It's been in the desert for all those years and matured, and it has a, quite a history, but I got involved when hydroponics <laughs> was big in the uh, UC Berkeley, and I learned from a professor there and um, fell in love with it. And that's the other thing. There's room for people in this industry that are in love with what they do. Ron was saying is there's all these facets of, that are involved in this business. And I always tell everybody, do what you love and learn how to do it. You had to be one of the kind of earlier adopters in the yeah. indoor grow world. I mean, greenhouses have been around more than that, probably 100, yeah. 150 years or something maybe. But this indoor grow, Ron's a pioneer in that area, yeah. brings all that yeah. experience to the table. Yeah. So I started when <clears throat> I started in my 20s, excuse me, my early 20s. I just wanted to, and I found a, a guy, this was the professor in Berkeley. Mm -hmm. I wanted to grow um, indoors and he had a great big greenhouse and I was right down the road from my, where I lived. So I started working there and I realized, oh, this is fantastic. Uh, I learned all about it for four or five years. I think it was there five years and, and decided to branch out on my own. And I went to Hawaii to grow in a greenhouse and I realized, oh no, you can't grow in the greenhouse because it's too humid in Hawaii. There's too many bugs. There's too, too much of everything. So I went in indoors and built a warehouse and that's where I, and this was, this was in the, geez, in the nineties. Yeah. That's pretty incredible. 
Yeah. Uh, and what a passion. What a wonderful mentorship story, too. That's great. Yeah. In terms of where in the country, I don't know if Clayco is um, designing building these globally or mainly in certain pockets of the country. I know we're talking about a big uh, spectrum of different crops and grows, mm -hmm. but where do you guys, what part of the country are you, would we most often see you? As a company, we work nationwide. And so our customers in this and other markets are, are primarily within the continental United States. Uh, we do go to Mexico and in Canada a bit. But within the U.S., there are areas that are probably more favorable than others, depending on whether it's greenhouse. Indoor vertical grow isn't as location-dependent except for uh, the utility costs, right? So if you get in an area that's cold all year round, you spend a lot on heat, or if you're in a desert, you spend a lot on cooling. Uh, so mm -hmm. there, there's a balance there. But it seems like most of the people that we deal with in this industry are more interested in the kind of the, the logistics side of it. And so they want to be close to urban areas within a, what, Ron, a day's travel or less with their product. So it can be on the shelf and in the customer's refrigerator as quickly as possible. So I think we probably see that being more of a driver than North, South, East, West thing. Yeah, because sure, that can, makes that's the big advantage. We can do it on the North Pole. We could do it in the, the desert anywhere. It's a really a big advantage and really why not put it where we need to have it consumed? Exactly. Yeah, you know, globally, I, the folks in the Middle East, the Emirates in particular, yeah. uh, are investing heavily in uh, indoor vertical grow just because they can't grow it outside there and uh, greenhouses don't work. And it's been a big push the last few years uh, there in, in the middle of the desert, Middle East. Right. I could talk to you guys all day, but I'm going <laughs> to wrap it up with one last question about renewable sources of energy. And I wonder if things like green hydrogen or other low emissions forward sources, if that impacts what you do or not so much. Yeah, we, we haven't really seen uh, hydrogen yet. Obviously, just by the nature of this industry, uh, there's a very heavy focus on sustainability and, and, and environmental um, conservation. And so you typically do see some level of solar on a lot of facilities. Yeah. Uh, water reclamation is absolutely a necessity in, in all of these um, type of operations. But what we're starting to see as an evolving trend is co-location where these facilities can utilize uh, waste heat off of another uh, operation. For example, uh, data centers put out a lot of heat and uh, that can be captured and used in these grow facilities uh, to the benefit of everyone and, and the environment as well. That's fascinating. We have been talking with Ron Mitchell, a master grower and an aeroponics and hydroponics expert, and with Ron Jones, vice president of Clayco's industrial group. And gentlemen, it's been such a pleasure to learn from you today. I think this is probably going to be one of the least familiar topics and the most interesting <laughs> that we've tackled yet on Build America. But Thank you so much for being with us. And I hope you'll both come back on again soon. Yeah, thank you for the opportunity. Yes, we certainly will. <laughs> We'd love to, Carrie. Like, we could talk about this all day long. That's great. I could listen to it all day long. Hey, thanks for listening, everybody. From breach of warranty to negligence, the construction attorneys at Sandberg Phoenix are ready to assist you. Sandberg Phoenix's construction team identifies problems and finds solutions before, during, and after the construction process, freeing up your time and providing you peace of mind. Contact Sandberg Phoenix today at sandbergphoenix.com. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely on advertising.